hopefully you caught it in a little bit of a dry spell and were able to get in without a lot of wetness. We are glad that you are here today. For those visiting with us, thank you for coming. I trust that you sense the presence of the Lord in our midst. That is always our goal, to exalt Christ, to exalt our triune God, and draw people into his presence. And so I trust that you sense the presence of the Lord as we worship, as we read the scriptures, as the word of God is proclaimed today. Also, I trust that you receive a friendly welcome during these COVID days. That's kind of difficult, uh, not being able to shake someone's hand or something like that. Someday soon, hopefully, we'll be able to uh, get back to express that. So we thank you for being here today. For those who are joining us online, we are grateful to have you uh, with us, uh, joining with us in worship today. Just a few announcements. If you have your bulletin, if you would look at those. We've been doing some member interviews. We interviewed Carlotta a couple of weeks ago. This evening, we're interviewing Mike Allen. Uh, Mike is a gentleman that I've known for several years. Our friendship goes way uh, further back than just our time at Randolph Street together. I'm anxious for you to meet him. I'm anxious for you to really get to know him, to pray for him as he has a strategic position in our military serving as a chaplain. He also has a ministry uh, as a missionary and uh, organizing a missionary uh, enterprise. And so I trust that you'll be able to be here this evening uh, or not be here to join us online this evening at 7 o'clock for that member interview. Uh, baby bottle drive. There should be some baby bottles in the back. Uh, our apologies on this. We had our timing wrong, and so we've been telling you these bottles are here. They are actually here today, uh, and so they're in the back. This will run through the month of March, so please take them, fill them up with green and silver, whatever you want, green preferably, and uh, bring them back, and it goes for a wonderful cause for the ministry at the Crossroads Pregnancy Care Center. If you would like to receive our emails, our prayer guide, uh, please make sure you get your email to us, your address, so we can include you in those mail-outs. We've been appealing to the Heidelberg Catechism as a means of kind of orienting our minds and our hearts to the Word of God, to the character, the nature of God, the nature of our relationship with God. Today's catechism question and answer is so very critical in just our understanding. If we have an incorrect understanding of the corruption of man, of where we stand before a holy God outside of Christ, it really keeps us from understanding the hope and the need that we have for Christ. And so question number seven is, then where does this corrupt human nature come from? The fall... Truly, our only hope is Christ. Let's look to him for a time of meditation as we continue to prepare our hearts to worship.
join me as we pray together. Well, Father, here we are, your people, gathered in this most sacred space for us. Each week, we join together. I trust with one voice and one heart and one mind to pursue a, a common goal, and that is to lift our hearts and voices up to you, our God, in praise and adoration together as the people of God. So, Father, as we walk into this holy moment today, let our thoughts and our minds and our affections be drawn upward. Even as we were reminded in the catechism today of our sinful condition by our relationship to Adam. For those in this room who have placed their faith in Christ, let them now be reminded of their righteous standing before you because of their relationship to Christ. And Lord, let our hope rest there now. Let that truth run through our hearts and minds and cause us to respond today in praise and adoration to you, our God. I pray for those in this room, for those joining us online today, that, Lord, that this would be indeed what we pray each week, a means of grace to your people as the word is proclaimed and read, as we sing truths that flow from your word, as we pray together, Lord, may this truly be a means of grace to your people. And Lord, if there would be anyone here in this room or joining us to get this morning online who are not Christians, who've never come to saving faith in Christ, oh God, would you use the ministry of your word today to open the eyes of those who are in their sins, that they might see Christ and respond to him in faith. May they lay hold of him today as their righteousness and the forgiveness of their sins. So, Lord, be honored now as your people gathered, Lord, for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand, if you would, and let us hear the word of God. Call us, the people of God, to worship this day. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright and in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people, and he has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Amen.
of Matthew. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A reading from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Please stand. We will now introduce a new song that proclaims that the sovereign God of the universe is the same God that loves us through the cross of his Son.
who are going to be uniting with us as new members, if you would come forward at this time and kind of line up here along the front. I brought my mask instead of my paper. I was just thinking about this, how kind the Lord has been to us through such a strange season of time. The Lord has allowed us to continue to grow as we've had visitors. Some of these folks actually started the new member class uh, in 
January of 2020. Uh, Katie, the Niceleys, and Tracy Tugwell. And so uh, they've been at this for a long, long period of time. We are so glad to have you folks with us. I'm going to start over on this side and introduce these folks to us. This is Lucas and Carrie Warren and their little ones, Riley, Ella, and Lucy. And so we're glad to have them. Uh, it's interesting, as you live long enough, you have a lot of interaction with people. I've known Carrie really since she was just probably Ella's size or even Lucy's size. And so I thank the Lord for the work he's done. We so much enjoy. They just recently moved here for work. Uh, Carrie is uh, Mike and Lisa's daughter. And so that's the connection there. But Lucas, we're glad to have you and your family with us. We rejoice in that. Next person is Tracy Tugwell. Uh, Tracy, I see a lot of her. She works for HFA and does a great job that way. We've uh, developed a good friendship. We thank the Lord for you, Tracy. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we discovered during our new member interview, Becky and I conducted that this past week, that we came to this church just about the same time. The summer that Becky and I came is the summer that Tracy moved back to kind of help care for her parents. And we met at that time, and she looked around, finally figured out she needed to be here. And so, Tracy, we're glad to have you with us. Casey Mosry. Casey's a very important fellow in our church because he's married to Olivia. And uh, McClanahan Mosry now, uh, they were married this past summer. Casey, you've been a real blessing to me. He's in a discipleship group that I work with, and he and Olivia have worked with our children's ministry, our Randolph Street kids. Um, Casey does a lot of that work. Brother, it's good to have you with us. Casey's another person I know from my past. I've been lots of places. Uh, Casey was a little boy in the church I pastored out in Cross Lanes. And so it's a joy to kind of reconnect with you. Brother, we're glad to have you with us here. This is the Niceleys, Amelia and Sean and Pepper and Dottie. And so they look pretty neat with their little head things on here this morning. So beautiful little girls. Sean, as you know, has been ministering to us on the worship team. Amelia and Stephen Farrell, our brother and sister, so we've known her off and on for the years that we've been here. It is so good. You folks have endured since uh, early in the year. They're wondering when these things are going to happen, so we thank you for your patience. Thank you for your wonderful ministry to us already. This is Katie Bradley. Uh, we have as a part of our Constitution, when uh, someone turns 18, uh, they need to, on their own, kind of pursue membership. Katie really wanted to do that. She said to me, I want to read the Constitution. I want to make sure it's the things that I believe. She loves the church, and she did that. Had a wonderful member interview. Katie, uh, we just rejoice. She's a student down at Marshall University, and so we're glad to have you uh, with us. Her parents and family, of course, are here with us. This is Brooke Neely, and Brooke, good to have you with us. Brooke's been coming for some time now. Has a very interesting testimony. Uh, Becky and I have had the opportunity to spend some time with her. She's in our ladies' Bible study, just really getting plugged in. Brooke, it's been a blessing to have you with us. Uh, we look forward to the days ahead. She's a Herbert Hoover girl, so Kathy, you probably had her as a student, harassed her at some point in time in the past, so we're glad to have you with us here today. The ones on the very end, Gracie and Alex Constantino, and this is little Maggie. Maggie was born since she's, oh boy, she's just bored. That's awful. Man, that's a, she's a tough sell that way. Uh, 
Maggie's a beautiful little girl. We thank the Lord for her. She was born just recently, and uh, kind of a funny COVID story. Uh, Grace and Alex were coming, and one day I turned around and looked back, and Grace had had her mask pulled down for some reason. I thought, who is that person? And then it dawned on me, I didn't know her without a mask on, so uh, that was kind of a weird thing. We're very glad to have you. We know your love for the Lord. We're really looking forward to you getting plugged in here and serving. Uh, It's a joy to have you folks with us. We would like for you, the church family, if you would please, to stand. And we will affirm our covenant one to another, they with you and you with them, as a means of affirming their membership here at Randolph Street. So let's say it together. Having been brought by divine grace... To repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit to his lordship over our lives and having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and his people most joyfully enter into covenant with one another in this local church. We will work and pray for the unity of this local church through walking together in brotherly love, edifying, admonishing, nurturing, and caring for one another, speaking truth in love, esteeming others above ourselves, and praying for one another. Further, we will seek to avoid those sins that greatly hinder the unity of the church, such as gossip, bitterness, anger, and pride, and we will never act as a stumbling block to our weaker brethren. We will work together to sustain the ministry of this church through participating in corporate gatherings, observing the ordinances, practicing church discipline, promoting sound doctrine, and giving cheerfully of our finances. Further, we will submit to and pray for those who lead us even as they submit to Christ. We will seek to be men and women that conform our lives to Christ, husbands and wives that pursue God-honoring marriages, grandparents and parents that educate our children in the Holy Scriptures, and sons and daughters that honor and serve our parents. By God's grace, we will be a church that advances the gospel of Jesus Christ to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are full of thanksgiving for your kindness in sending these whom you have redeemed to Randolph Street, that we might be a body together, that we might serve them and they serve us. Father, we recognize what a privilege it is to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of a local assembly, to help one another grow in our walk with you. Lord, to help care for one another through difficult times, to be able to rejoice together, to weep together. Father, again, we thank you for each one of these uh, folks that are coming, for the families that are here, the children that are represented. Father, might each one of them grow. I ask God that you would do a work in our lives for the glory of your name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for leading us through that time. Two thoughts, three thoughts as I was standing, sitting over there. 
One, I just love watching God add these kinds of folks to our local church and what the Lord is doing here. Two, I love reading that covenant. It just reminds us of what we are about as a church and our commitment to one another. Three, and I know you share this with me, I love how Pastor Tim shepherds our church. Even as he walks through these families, I thank God for you, brother, and how you care for souls and uh, so well shepherd this local church. Well, for the reading of our sermon text this morning, if you would open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to go back and catch two verses from last Sunday, but our text this morning is found in verses 14 through 18. Philippians chapter 2. I'll begin reading two verses earlier in verse number 12. Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, writes this for us, the people of God. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will, to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Father, use your word this morning in powerful ways in our lives to form and shape us after the image of your own son. Quad our thoughts and now bring us to your word and do a holy, holy work in us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.
you, Madison, for ministering to us this morning. Madison, to connect some things here, is running the baby bottle campaign for Crossroads Pregnancy Care Center. So if you have questions about that, Madison just graduated college last December, is that right? She went to Cedarville, finished up in like six months, and moved back to Charleston, and now she's working with Crossroads Pregnancy Care Center. And uh, if you have questions about uh, the baby bottle campaign, Madison would be glad to answer those questions for you. Um, a couple of housekeeping details before I get into the sermon this morning. Uh, Grace Fra, this is her last Sunday with us before she goes off to basic training. Grace will be fine, uh, but pray for Mike and Kristen uh, as they go through this transition for their family. Listen, I, you laugh at that, but I'm, we've been recently experiencing this kind of stuff. It stinks, right? It's most, most of you have, or many of you have. And so, uh, Grace, we're going to pray for you. Your birthday's coming up soon, right? March the 9th, if I heard right. So you're going to be away for your birthday? Oh, Kristen. Oh, Kristen. Okay. We will pray for the whole family, but uh, they would appreciate that. Young parents, we're working on nursery plans. Some of you have asked. Uh, we're going through the process now of trying to figure out those things and what that looks like in light of our current situation. Uh, so we will get some information, more information out to you in the coming weeks and months. It's going to be some time, but we are putting together some plans to return to some sense of normalcy around here in the coming weeks. And then lastly, just a quick update on uh, Carson, little Carson. We've been praying for, so many of you have given uh, to serve this family over the last uh, number of months. Um, Carson's cancer is, to use terms that they have used, uh, is stable. Uh, the doctors would look at it and say it's in remission. Uh, they are constantly monitoring this and uh, te doing tests to make sure that it remains stable and in remission. Um, I know Courtney and all the family would ask that you continue to pray for little Carson. He has a port in his chest that will remain there for uh, the time being uh, in case they need to uh, bring, bring him back on to certain medication, medic, medications and just pray that, that would, there would be no infections develop with that. And I asked Courtney last night how we can pray for her, pray for their family. And uh, I'm sure you can imagine all the ways you could pray for them in this time. One, that the cancer remains stable and in remission, but just that the Lord would minister to this family in the midst of all the concerns and fears of relapse and struggles that are there. Just, just pray for each of them. They would deeply, deeply value that. But again, thank you so much for how you have prayed for this family. Um, you often, some of you come and ask us about, uh, about them and little Carson, and uh, they would deeply value your continued prayers for them. Okay, with your Bibles open, Philippians chapter 2. A little new technology. I'll be putting some slides up on the sides this morning. If I get frustrated with it, I'm just going to pull the plug and set it aside. Don't be surprised if that happens in just a moment. But the goal of this is to help us look at the Word of God together, to see it, to understand it. I want to help you as, as I pursue weekly. I want to help you be better students of the Bible, see how things connect and where they're placed and how certain parts of the Scriptures are emphasized for us. This text that's before us this morning, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 14 through 18, it, I trust will be helpful to our souls today. 
when you come out of a passage like verses 12 and 13, one of these monumental texts, right? When you think about the book of Philippians, you may immediately run to Philippians chapter 1, maybe verse number 20 and 21, or Philippians chapter 3 and some of Paul's language there about the righteousness of Christ. But most of you, if not all of you, when you think of Philippians, you're going to think of verse number 12 and 13 of chapter 2. It's one of the more familiar texts. It has garnered much attention from pulpits and commentaries, and rightly so. We're going to go back and do some review of it here in just a moment. But often what happens when you move through a significant passage, one of those monumental texts, you lose sight of what kind of follows it. So you look down at verse number 14. You could feel a transition, kind of, but it different focus, do all things without grumbling or complaining or questioning. And often what happens when you move out of significant taxes is that things that follow it, they're kind of they're lost. Well, I hope what you sense with me this morning is how important this passage is for us today in the 21st century American church. It is going to be pointed. It will be a rebuke to our souls. And I trust God will use this to continue to shape and form us more and more into the image of Christ. Let me give you a quick outline to get us into our passage this morning. We're going to review 12 and 13. There's point one, review. A, a much-needed review. Number two, we're going to see Paul's identification of two important sins. Just read them. Out of that, we're going to see two areas that these sins affect. Church and our witness in the world. Number three... Paul's going to emphasize, falling out of what I just said there, Paul's going to emphasize the importance of our fight with these particular sins. And finally, we're going to look at Paul's double vision. We have talked about this before, but Paul's view of that day out there, the day of Christ, and how it so affects him now. And I'm going to encourage you to live with Paul in that day. We're going to finish our morning by going back and rereading Matthew chapter 5 and seeing the connection of our Lord to this text. Okay, so let's do a little bit of review this morning. Philippians chapter 2, really focusing in on this last section of verses 12 and 13. Last Sunday, we spent our time in this particular text. Again, it is a very familiar text when you think about the book of Philippians, but this text is so important to us as we think about our Christian life, individually and corporately. Last week, we were reminded by Paul as he records this text for us that there are two parties that he's bringing to bear in this text. So if you look down at your Bibles with me, he calls you here, work out your own salvation. There's one party, that's, that's you. The other party, he says, God here is at work in you, both to will and to work. So he brings two parties to the table here. You, the reader, the Christian, not unbelievers, 
We dealt with that last week. This is for you, those who follow Christ, and the other party here is God. You're at work, and God is at work. The work that Paul reminds us that we're engaged in together here is rather shocking. We spent most of our morning last week reviewing this. He tells us here to work out our salvation. Language that we really don't use out of fear of being confusing to those who may hear us. But let us, let us remember, Paul here in this little phrase is not calling us to work out our justification. Right? Paul's not urging you as the reader to say, merit your righteousness before God. That is not what he's speaking of here. Paul is explicitly clear about that in so many of his writings. A sinner only stands right before God through faith in Christ and Christ alone. So when Paul uses this language here to work out your own salvation, Paul is not saying for you to merit your justification. Paul here is calling you as the reader to focus on your sanctification and labor toward Christ-likeness. Last week, we went back and reviewed the context. If you look back at verse number 5, chapter 2, this is where Paul says, Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours or which was in Christ Jesus also. It is this mind that Paul wants to be see, formed in us and shaped in us. So when Paul uses this language, work out your own salvation, he, he's taking you back to that idea. You are called to labor and toil and work and strive to be like Christ. That's the work you're called to, Christian. And you are called to do that as you look at your text. You're called to do that with fear and trembling. This is an important work. This is, this is the work you stand before God in your pursuit. This is not some high school biology teacher that you're trying to, to, to impress. This is God whom you stand before. Our creator and our judge. And these words should invoke in us a seriousness in our pursuit to be conformed to Christ. This is what he's putting on our plates. This is what he's urging us toward. Work out, labor, toil, strive to be conformed to Christ. Now, if you look down at your text, if you would, the, the other party here, being God, his work in us is comprehensive. He works in us both to will and to work. So, so the picture of Paul here is while you're over here laboring and toiling, God, invisibly, he is at work in you. You work, God is at work, and his work is comprehensive. He works in you both to will and to do. In other words, God's work is the ground of your work, and it is the cause of your work. And according to Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, the work that he started in you, he will complete at the day of Christ. And notice at the end of that verse, he works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
The NIV translate this in order to fulfill his good purpose. And last week we reminded, what is God's good pleasure in your life? This isn't the common answer to that question. What is God's good pleasure in your life? The answer to that is your conformity to Christ. That's the work that God is doing in you. So Christian, you can, you can read this text, and you can step out of it and say, what is, what is God doing in me right now? What is God's primary purpose in my life right now? He is working in you to conform you to the image of his son. He's working in you to form the character of Christ in you. What is the character of Christ? Well, in this text, Paul is clear. He humbled himself. He became a servant. That is his disposition in the incarnation. And Paul, likewise, is calling you to that same life. So, that was a quick review of the entire sermon last week. Let me make two comments out of that before I get into this week's text. Christian, God's work in you, if we understand it right, God's work in you is the cause of your obedience. I mean, this is the comfort of this text. It's, it's the ground we stand on as we labor to be conformed to Christ. But let's be clear about this. God's work in us is not an excuse for inactivity or passivity on our end. I think we could hear it that way. Well, God's doing his thing. He's sovereign over all things. So therefore, I'm kind of going to check out and that, that bad theology of let go, let God that we talked about last Sunday morning. Paul is calling you in this text to labor and grind and toil and strive, all the while trusting God for his good and gracious work in us. My work is grounded in God's work. So I strive and I stand in the power of his grace. That's the comfort of this text. This is not you do some, then God does some. This is God working in me. And because God is working in me, then I'm free to labor and to oil and to seek conformity to Christ. God's grace is always the cause of our obedience. This is the comfort of this text for us as Christians. A second thought flowing out of last week's sermon is when you, when you talk about the book of Philippians, everybody immediately wants to talk about joy, right? It's the book of joy. And I argued with that a little bit when I introduced the book of Philippians. But I'm going to capture that for just a moment here. Because when you see this little phrase at the end of this text, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, I'm reminded as I see that little phrase, my joy is found in God's good pleasure. And you know this. You know this as you have worked and labored and toiled to see conformity to Christ in your life by the power of the Spirit. There is no joy like that joy. When I find my life controlled and formed and shaped by the good purpose of God in me, you want joy? That is joy. All right, let's move into this week's text. 
Paul's going to get a little personal now. He's going to identify two sins. And he is going to get in our space, if you will. Verse number 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. This is a new paragraph, but it is not a new thought. It may feel disconnected when we first read this, but Paul's going to help us now see how these two sins destroy what he's going after back in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Let's look at this phrase for just a moment. Do all things without grumbling or disputing or questioning. In one sense, when you look at this text, one sense you see that phrase, do all things, it is an all-encompassing idea for your life. Right? In everything you do, in every sphere of your life, you as a Christian are called to do it without grumbling or disputing or questioning. Right, so I think it has that feel to it. Do all things, every aspect of your life, in your home, in your workplace, in your church, in your neighborhood, in every sphere of our life, we are called to do all things without grumbling, without murmuring, without complaining, without questioning, without arguing. Why? Well, we could, we could go right back to the previous verse. One reason is God is at work in us, right? God is in control, and God is sovereign, providentially working all things out, and he's working in us to conform us to Christ. So one good reason to not grumble or complain or question is that God is at work. To narrow this down a little bit, Paul's also thinking about your relationship to the working out of your salvation in the context of the church. All right, so let's take our Bibles and go back to chapter 2, verse 3. Let me reread this, because I think this is the connection in Paul's mind. Do nothing from rivalry, selfish ambition, conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. All right, you could add behind that now. Do this without grumbling or complaining or murmuring or questioning. Verse 4. Look each of you not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then you could add behind that. Do this without grumbling or complaining or murmuring or questioning. So I think Paul brings these ideas behind because he knows the natural response of our hearts in this pursuit of Christ-likeness, the natural response of our hearts when we hear in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, the natural response of our hearts is grumbling and complaining. When we hear, look out for the interest of others, the natural response of our hearts is grumbling and complaining and questioning. And Paul is saying to us, you do all of this without grumbling, without complaining, without disputing, and without creating conflict. There's certain words 
we work harder in this pulpit to define. And I'm going to do that with these two words in a few moments. But my guess is when you read this text, depending on your translation, you see the word grumbling or disputing. Those are probably not words you really need to have defined for you. All right, they're, they're probably very familiar to all of our hearts. This is, this is one of those areas where I can look at sins that are noted and know that it applies to everyone I'm preaching to. There's not a person in this room that escapes these vices fully. So what does Paul mean when he uses the word grumbling? We've already heard it from me in other words. I think the idea here is complaining or murmuring. Such a graphic word, isn't it? Some translations use that word, murmuring. You all know what that is. This spirit, this disposition, if you will, we complain maybe to God in relationship to our circumstances. I think that's probably true of all of us in this room. Why am I in this? Or maybe it's grumbling or murmuring or complaining about others as we live together in relationships. It's a spirit that's in us because of Adam often leads to discontentment and anger. We're going to see this little word in various places throughout the New Testament. Peter uses it one time. He writes, Above all, keep, keep loving one another earnestly, and since love covers a multitude of sins. And then he says this. Listen how he connects it. He says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's interesting. In Philip's weird translation, he writes, be hospitable to each other without secretly wishing you hadn't got to be. I think it's how we are, right? I mean, I'm, I've done that. My wife says, someone's coming over, and inside, I wanted my evening. I wanted my time. I wanted to be alone. I've been with people all day, and what rises up in my soul is that, that murmuring and that complaining and that, that grumbling. And Peter says, show hospitality without grumbling. This other side, disputing or questioning, really has this idea of an argumentative or a divisive spirit. Someone who agitates, stirs up, controversy in the community of faith. And sadly, I think some see this as almost a gift of the Spirit. But, but, but Paul, Paul's going after here is those who give themselves to quarreling or debating, as Walter Hansen notes in the Pillar Commentary. Someone whose life is marked by creating conflict and stirring up controversy. They love to argue. Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. There's no escape in this, right? All things. Do all things without this kind of heart. 
It, listen, it's going to be crucial. We're going to see it in just a moment. This is a crucial teaching of Paul. Paul viewed these sins as detrimental to the body of Christ. These sins, if you will, undermine those whom Christ died for, which is really what this text is all about, right? I mean, if you go back to chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul, or excuse me, down to verse 2, Paul is longing for them to be of the same love, to be of one accord and of one mind. And he sees these sins over here, this grumbling and complaining and divisive spirit. He sees them as detrimental to the body of Christ. They undermine the faith of those whom Christ has died for. Now, I think we need to put it in that kind of language. These kinds of sins tear down, they destroy, they erode and undermine people's faith. I think it's a primary reason Paul's identifying this, these two sins in a text he's calling for unity and of them being of one accord. Why? These sins undermine the church. And brothers and sisters, when you undermine the church, all of us, we undermine those whom Christ purchased. These two sins have a common trait. They are manifested in those, this is for all of us, okay? They are manifested in those who think highly of themselves those who are proud and prefer themselves over and against others. Exact opposite of verse number three and four. These sins are manifested in those who are not humble but think highly of themselves. These sins are manifested not in those who seek to meet the needs of others, but those who are proud and prefer themselves over others. That's why my wife tells me somebody's coming to our house. Not all the time. If you're recently in my house, I'm not talking about you. Just, just be clear here. Just be clear. I might be talking about you, but it's not a reflection on you. It's a reflection of my heart. It's a natural response of the fallen heart to grumble and be divisive. And let's be honest, these sins are typically acceptable sins in the church. Aren't they? These sins are typically accepted and respectable sins in the church. How serious does God take these sins? Well, if you're in your Bible reading this year, which I hope you are, read the Exodus. Maybe go home this, re this afternoon and read Numbers 14. An entire generation of Israelites were forsaken due to their unbelief being expressed in grumbling and questioning of God and his servants. God, God takes seriously these sins which we find as acceptable. When we grumble, complain, murmur, argue, and stir controversy, I'm trying to keep this in text, okay, in context. When we do those things, we are not working out our own salvation. And that's, this is what I wanted to, to, 
I want us to feel this afternoon when we walk out of this space. When I, when I participate in these sins of my natural heart, I am not seeking to model Christ. Again, this is why this hymn is so important to us. When you go back and read, beginning at verse number six, though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Was, he willingly gave up his glory and his divine prerogatives and rights. He is God, and he laid them aside. Not his deity, and he made himself nothing. He took the form of a servant, and he humbled himself. When I participate in these sins of grumbling and questioning and complaining and murmuring and divisiveness, when my heart grabs a hold of those kinds of sins, I am not working out my salvation. I am not pursuing Christ-likeness. It would be probably helpful right now that each of us just take a moment, identify those sins in our hearts. Repent, forsake, and have a fresh experience of God's grace in our lives. These sins are serious before God. Let's, let's elevate this a little bit more, the importance of our fight that we're engaged in here. Look at verses 15 and following. That you may be blameless. So do all things without grumbling or questioning. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shone as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So not only do these sins undermine the church, but they affect our witness in this world. I mean, notice what Paul says in this particular text. We live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. All right, this is the context in which you and I live, and Paul's recognizing that. We live in a world that's twisted and crooked. It is not aligned with God and his will. And that becomes clear every day. I mean, you think how clear it was to Paul in his day, and now how much clearer it is in our day. The world does not align with God and his will. So for Paul, as he thinks about you and I living in that world, you and me, this type of life that he's pushing on us, this pursuit of Christ-likeness, humble, others-oriented, not grumbling, not complaining, not divisive, that life that Paul's pressing up on us, he says, if you pursue that, you will be blameless and innocent and without blemish in that crooked world you live in. In other words, I think what he's saying here, the world will look up on you and they will have no answer. No answer for your character and your life. They will have no answer. I mean, you think how contrary this is to the world. What I'm saying to you this morning, not, not what I'm saying to you, what Paul is saying to you this morning. How contrary this is to the world to say, hey, pursue humility. Aggressively. 
Pursue preferring others above yourself. Pursue looking out for the needs of other people, not just yourself. Pursue conformity to Christ. Be a servant of others. And do all of that, all of that without grumbling and complaining. The world has no answer for that. They have no category for that. You will be, if you pursue that, here's, here's the glory of this text. You will be, as Paul writes in this passage, lights in this crooked and perverse and twisted world. How? By pursuing Christ-likeness. You live for others, humbly, as a servant. You will be a light in this world. And Paul says, you will be holding forth the word of life. Your life and your language will show forth the word that brings life. How about that kind of flavor? I like that, right? To live that kind of life. That the flavor of my life, the aroma of my life, as others look up on me and they see Christ, they see humility and they see servanthood with no complaining or questioning or groaning or murmuring, the world has no answer for that kind of life. I'm going to finish reading this text in a little while, but Jesus would say, you are the light of the world, Christian. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, he, he says, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's get practical. You embrace this vision of God for your life, of conformity to Christ. And, and now your life is characterized, not perfectly. Oh, I wish it was, right? But now your life is characterized by humility and being a servant looking out for the needs of others and you do that without complaining and murmuring Jesus says the world will look at you and they'll see your good works and they'll have no response other than this is of God they will glorify your father who is in heaven do you see your pursuit of Christ to conformity to Christ in his image and how important that is. Right, your life matters. Your conduct, it, it matters. Walter Hansen in his commentary, helpful commentary in the book of Philippians, he says, when Christian conversation is laced with complaints and personal attacks, Christians have lost their distinctive quality as the children of God in a world characterized by that same kind of negative tone. You hear that? When our conversation is laced with complaining and divisiveness, we've lost our distinctive quality that marks us as children of God. Brothers and sisters, how you engage with others is important. It's important to 
the faith of the church. It's important to the witness of Christ to this world. This is what the world needs to see. And this is so contrary to what often happens in American evangelical churches, especially in the politically divisiveness that we live in today, the political divisiveness we find ourselves in. What does the world need to see from us? They need to see Christ-like, servant-minded, others-oriented men and women whose lives are saturated with humility and love, men and women who are given to the pursuit of peace and edification of the church. The world has no answer for that. Why? Because it is supernatural. It is supernatural to be others-oriented, sacrificial, humble-minded sinner. That is supernatural. That is God working in you. Sadly, instead of modeling Christ, and I'm as guilty of this as you are, we often model our talking points and mannerisms and character by what we see on TV or hear on radio. And we adopt the ways of the world. And while they may win earthly arguments, they diminish the glory of God and the grace of God in us. So I would just ask you, which is more important? Lastly, let's look at Paul's double vision. He writes, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And Paul's such an example of this servant minded, others oriented person. Listen, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, remember, he's in prison. He doesn't know the outcome of this yet. Remember the uncertainty of Philippians chapter 1? He doesn't know the outcome of this yet, but I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. But what I want to point you to in this particular text is that little phrase, so that in the day of Christ. This, this little phrase hounds the Apostle Paul. He cannot get away from this idea. This is the third time we see this in the book of Philippians. We find it in chapter 1, verse number 6, in chapter 1, verse number 10, and now again here in chapter 2 at the end of verse number 16. Paul has something on his mind. And if we're good students of the Bible, we should say, and we should too, three times. This is repetitive. He's emphasizing something for us, this day of Christ. He wants you to stick this idea deeply in your soul, and he wants this mentality to consume your thoughts. He wants you to anticipate this day and let that day shape and form who you are now because it's on that day, the day of Christ, when the things that truly matter will be clear in our lives. We will understand fully and finally what was most important for us in this life. Paul always has that day in mind. Always. 
that's the air he breathes. This is where he lives. Three times now he's, he's pushing this on us. He wants, he wants us to grasp this kind of lifestyle likewise, that we walk with Christ and we do so with that day in mind. When's the last time, and this is for me too, when's the last time you've thought about that day? I'm not talking about a pass, passing thought. I'm talking about a sobering thought that sets in your soul. And you recognize that on that day, that which is most important will be revealed and clear to you. Notice what Paul says here. I may be proud that I not run in vain or labor in vain. On that day when Paul gives an account, your life, your pursuit of Christ's likeness, it matters to him. Because it's the evidence that he'd not run or labor in vain. That's, that's Paul's heart. That, that day just presses back in. Calvin would say the expression at the day of Christ is intended to stimulate the Philippians to perseverance, Christ-likeness. While the tribunal of Christ is set before their view from which the reward, reward of faith is to be expected. So, so, so Paul wants that to be a reality in your lives that day. It, it is coming and he wants that pressed into us so that now we live our lives with a full awareness of what is most important. And what is most important to us now? Conformity to Christ. Working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So we wake up tomorrow morning, we roll out of bed, and we roll into our busy, busy lives. All of you have probably little to-do lists, right? I got a little app now on my phone. The problem is I got to remember to look at it. But I can type in. Often I'll just text myself, remember to do this. Some of you have sticky notes everywhere. My dad always had a little notes he pocket and scribble all over it, things he had to do. Well, for us... Tomorrow morning, when you wake up and you walk into the busyness of your life, does that day have such a priority on your soul that you step into this day with an earnest faith to pursue conformity to Christ? And remember what we're talking about humility, servant minded others oriented all the things that often cause us to grumble and complain but we wake up because of that day now we pursue Christ conformity to him I'm going to close our morning by reading Matthew chapter 5 we already read I didn't know that was in our reading this morning I just overlooked it so we've already read some of this, but I'm going to read the whole, and it's going to conclude with a text that I read previously. Listen to these, because this is, this is what Jesus values for his disciples. Listen to how contrary this is to the perspective of our world. This is what Jesus says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, humble. 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn over our sin and and the agony and the pains of this world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Listen how contrary. Blessed are the meek, the gentle. Blessed you are if you're meek and gentle. You shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Not the vindictive, the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not those who stir up strife, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you. Listen, you pursue these things, you're going to be reviled by this world. It's just fact. You pursue the things that are contrary to this world, to this world, this crooked and twisted generation we live in, you will be reviled by this world. But listen, be reviled for the right reasons. They will revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this has been a challenging couple of weeks for my own soul. Let us hear what the word of God is calling us to this morning. And let us pursue these traits of Christ with all of our heart, mind, and soul, not to win temporal worldly arguments, but to bring eternal glory to our God who is in heaven. That's our calling. May God grant that to us in the days to come. Let's pray together. Father, as we complete this little section of Scripture, how troubling it is to our hearts. Lord, what you're calling us to here, what you're setting before us. I pray for Randolph Street that we would be a people who are consumed with working out our salvation conformity to Christ that we would pursue with vigor the things that Paul sets before us in Philippians chapter 2 that with humility we would count others more significant than ourselves that we would have hearts that look out for the interest of others that we like Jesus would be servants humbling ourselves that we would not be a people of 
complaining and murmuring. A people that is argumentative or divisive. Father, I pray that as we pursue these Christ-like virtues, we would do so knowing that we are dependent fully and completely on your grace that's at work in us. We would labor and toil standing on your grace, knowing that the work you have started in us, you will complete at the day of Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that our church would embrace this kind of life, this Christ-like life, so that we, we encourage one another, we edify, we build up. It just marks our lives, it's who we are. And also so that the world would look at us and have no explanation other than it is because of the grace of God. So, Lord, do that good work in us. Mark Randolph Street with these kind of Christ-like virtues so that we can give glory to you, our God. Thank you for the privilege of living this Christian life, all that you have granted to us in Christ. Help us to bring you glory in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing together.
certainly a message that speaks into each of our hearts and lives, such practical, practical things. A statement that Pastor Jason made last Sunday morning has continued to linger and settle in my mind that we work and toil and we stand on God, the ground of God's grace. That is such a truth, even as we talked about the song we just sang, that he will hold me fast. We depend upon the grace of God, not only to save us, but to sustain us. You can hear that in the words of this benediction, as God gave it to Aaron to bless the people of God for centuries and centuries. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace to the praise of